Would you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's Word in this house. I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> Last week we began a series on the anointing. Everyone say the anointing. We began to uh, deal with two primary different anointings that we see in Scripture. And we're going to look at that again. Ephesians, oh, no, I'm sorry, First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm reading this morning out of the King James Bible. That's the Bible that the Apostle Paul read out of, right? No, it's not. That's what, that's what people think, though. Like, anyway, uh, that's a message for a different day. So, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. I just, I like the way it reads in this particular. I'm not going to read all of it, but this is what it says. You have an anointing from the Holy One, or you have an unction. Everyone say unction. That's the old English word for anointing. You have an unction, an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. The next verses I shared on last week, he's describing how the Holy Spirit's anointing in your life will expose hypocrisy, false teaching, false prophecy. I'm not going to go over all that again. But look at verse 27. The anointing, everyone say anointing. The anointing you have, which you have received of him, abides in you. Where does his anointing abide? In you. You do not need any man that, that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth all things as in his truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3. If you've been doing our Bible study, which is available through our church center app, we'll be in these passages, I think, next week. Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now look at verse 20. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think Watch this, according to the power that works in us. That's that inner anointing again. So we're, we're going to dig into it a little bit this morning. But let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. So Holy Spirit, I, I invite you now to come and to speak to our hearts and to change our lives. I pray, mighty God, for an anointing to rest upon us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking. Come on, church. I want you to help me pray. Pray for God to speak to us. Pray for an anointing in this place. Lift your voice. God, we do. We ask you now to speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that your wisdom and your revelation would be revealed in this place. Even now, I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Lord, I pray, give us liberty in receiving your word today. 
In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Everyone say, the anointing. I want to talk about operating in the Spirit without limits. Uh, You'll notice that I emphasize the phrase in 1 John and our Ephesian text really dealing with the fact of power in you or the anointing in you. But one of the things that I highlighted last week is there's two primary relationships that we have with the anointing. There is an anointing that is in you, but Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit fell upon them. Well, what's the difference? I, I gave us just kind of an overview last week and today. I'm on the what I call the abiding anointing, and that's the anointing in you. In a couple weeks, we'll be dealing with the anointing on you, and I believe the primary function for the anointing on you is for the function of ministry. Every time you see the anointing come upon, there is an assignment. The Spirit will come upon you, be a witness. The Spirit is upon you, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. There's always an assignment, and so let me put it this way. The anointing in you is for living. The anointing on you, <coughs> on you is for power. The anointing on you is for ministry. Now, I will say that we need both of these things, but what I tend to notice is we get more excited about the anointing on us than we do in us. I want to prophesy. I want words of knowledge. I want to cast out devils. I want gifts of healing. Uh, we get excited. I mean, man, we'll, we'll, we'll go to meetings because we see that there's a gift upon somebody's life. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But what I'm concerned about, friend, is if we become overly enthusiastic about gifts on people and yet we neglect the anointing in our own lives, or in people, guys, we're moving into dangerous territory. Because I I, I shared last week how the anointing on us is carried and sustained by the anointing in us. This is where we've seen people over the years, and, uh, and you've heard it phrased in different ways, but you'll watch individuals who may have a great gift upon their life, God uses them in tremendous ways. There's an anointing on their life, and yet they lack something inside. And this is where we see sin and scandal and uh, and horrible things. And it's like, what in the world is going on? Friend, the anointing on your life. I know I'm coming out the gate like I'm throwing steaks to you this morning. I'm giving you some meat, okay? And so I hope you came ready to receive. The anointing on your life will not affect your integrity. It will not affect your level of holiness in any way, shape, or form. There are very gifted individuals who are living in horrible sin, and the two are not connected. I'm going to talk about that a lot over the next couple weeks. But the fact of the matter is, the abiding anointing, the anointing in you, That is what changes your walk. That is what changes your life. As you grow close to Jesus, as he's abiding in you and with you. Friend, I am convinced you're not going to spend time loving on Jesus and immediately go and practice 
horrible sin. Are you with me? We all have areas of weakness. We all have what Hebrews calls his besetting sins. And what we must be mindful of is we must get in the abiding presence of God because Jesus is going to deal with the junk in our lives. And we need him to deal with the junk in our lives because if we're going to believe for a great gift to come upon our lives, you know what happens when the anointing comes on you? I'm going to talk about this in two weeks. You'll notice when the anointing fell in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily. Everyone say addition. But very quickly, you'll see they began to move into the realm of multiplication. In chapter 4, it says the Lord multiplied the believers. And by chapter 5 of the book of Acts, it says that they greatly multiplied. Everyone say multiplied. Like the Lord added 3,000, and the next that you see is 5,000 were added, but then by chapter 6, they lose count, and the church becomes so massive through multiplication that they can't even keep track of how many people are there. Here's what happens. When the anointing comes, there's multiplication. Multiplication. Anybody like to work in a garden? Anybody plant uh, vegetables, fruits, anything like that? If you add fertilizer to that soil, all of a sudden the fruitfulness of the herbs or your vegetables or whatever it is you're working with, all of a sudden it begins to multiply in greater capacity, doesn't it? But how many know if you have weeds that are undealt with in that same planting area, those weeds will also multiply. And so what happens is that's like our lives. We're like, we're like this garden. And yes, when the anointing comes on it, it amplifies the gift. Uh, You're a good speaker, but boy, when you're under the anointing, oh, it's on a whole different level. Yeah, you're compassionate towards sick people, but under the anointing, oh my goodness, God's healing people. You're a great encouraging, but under the anointing, there's a prophetic edge to that encouragement. You understand? But if you've got junk in your life, weeds in your life, sin in your life, that also is multiplied. You say, well, prove that, Pastor Jacob. Well, I'll give you a couple Bible examples, but you ever notice most of the time where we see sin and scandal in high caliber places, it's usually in the midst of a great outpouring of the Spirit. Have you ever seen that? Like, Revival is being poured out, and then all of a sudden, this guy's greed issues get exposed. This extramarital thing gets exposed. His arrogance and his pride gets exposed. And all of a sudden, these little things that were in the closet have multiplied and amplified, and you can't hide it any longer. We got to deal with this stuff, we got to keep it in check. You say, Where is it in the Bible? Well, you might remember Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament has the greatest victory of his ministry life, showing down the prophets of Baal, fire from heaven. He overcomes, tremendous. He's prophesying to the weather, and it listens. Drought ends supernatural. He outruns horses. I mean, he's got three, four miracles right in a row. Tremendous. And then all of a sudden, Jezebel. A woman with a painted face comes and sticks her snout out the window and threatens him. 
I'm not insulting women, by the way. None of you are Jezebel. Hallelujah. She threatens him, and he ends up fleeing. And next thing you know, all of these insecurities, these deficiencies in him, next time you see him, he is depressed and he is suicidal. Yeah, he struggled with suicidal. God, end my life. Which I love how the Lord ministered to him. He sent an angel, told him to take a nap and eat some cake. <laughs> Praise God. Sometimes, friend, you feel like quitting, you feel like dying. Take a nap and eat some cake. You're going to feel better. My wife and I, we've learned, man, if we're hungry, we don't need to have this conversation. right? Let's go eat something and then we'll talk. I'm giving you marriage advice now. This is helpful, okay? And so uh, uh, another one, Peter. How is it that Peter can experience the greatest revelation in the New Testament? You, Jesus, are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, oh, oh, he, he credits him. You got it, Peter. And on that revelation, I'm going to build everything that I'm doing. But in the very next sentence, what happens? Peter thinks to rebuke the Christ, the Son of the living God in Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. How can you have revelation of Jesus and yet be afflicted by Satan himself? What in the world is going on there? You see, when great anointing comes, there's multiplication. And this is why, before I dig into over the next few weeks what it is to operate in a great anointing on our life, I want you all anointed. I want you all laying hands on sick people and seeing them recover. I want you all prophesying. I want you all casting out devils. I want you all empowered to preach and be witnesses. I, I want that for every person within the sound of my voice. But we got to make sure that we're able to carry this thing. we got to make sure that as the Lord begins to elevate you, we're not going to fall. We're not going to be crushed. We're going to be a people of integrity. We're going to finish our races well. Amen? So how are we going to do that? Well, what began me on this whole journey and just began to ask questions, John chapter 3 and verse 34, John the Baptist is speaking about Jesus, and he said, he is sent by God. Talking about Jesus. And he speaks God's word. God's, God gives him the spirit without limit. Everybody say, no limits. Now, as I read this, I don't know if your mind works the same way mine does, but I'm like, wow, Jesus had the anointing without limits. It immediately causes me to look at myself. It causes me to look at us and say, can we have the anointing without limits? Or is there something unique about Jesus? But here's what, here's what challenges me. I'm going to mess with some of you today. Are you ready for this? I, I like to challenge the way that you think because some of you are sitting here thinking, well, of course that worked for Jesus. He's Jesus, right? He's God in the flesh. He can do. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that what Jesus did in this life, in fact, put that verse up there, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. Understand that what Jesus did in this life, he did not operate as God. Now, don't hear me wrong. He is God. He is God in the flesh. But it says, uh, go back one verse. It says, he, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. So he's God, 
But he's not clinging to his position. Next verse. It says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being, and he appeared in human form. Jesus, think about this. When Jesus was casting out devils, when Jesus was healing the sick, when Jesus was preaching under the anointing, he did all of these things the same way you and I do. As a man being obedient to his father, walking with the Holy Spirit by faith. This is important for us to understand because if Jesus did the things that he did as God, then we look and say, good job, Jesus. I worship you and I honor you. But if he did what he did as a man, that then puts a burden on us. Jesus, if you modeled this for us, that means I'm expected to operate as you did. So the question, Jesus had the spirit without measure. Do we? I told you I'm going to mess with you. Some of you have heard this verse before, John 14 and verse 12. I tell you the truth. These are Jesus' words. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I go to the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so the Son can bring glory to the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commands, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. You will do what I did, Jesus said, and greater. I would suggest to you that not only do we have the opportunity to operate in the spirit without limits just as Jesus did, I would submit to you that as we approach these last days, the outpouring of the spirit is going to intensify. It's going to be greater. It's not going to reduce. God is going to do more and more and more and he's going to use us. The standard has been raised. That's humbling, isn't it? How many dead have you raised? We have room to grow. God wants to do more. And I want to give you some keys. So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, we read this, and most of you have probably quoted that verse, Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above, we can ask or think according to the power, the anointing that works in us. Tell your neighbor, you have an anointing. The moment you got born again, you have an anointing upon your life. The Holy Spirit came into you and begins to operate in you and through you. He begins to speak to you. Now, there's a couple things that the Apostle Paul prays before that. He says, first of all, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you know Christ wants to dwell with you? 
This is how we're going to grow in this abiding anointing. You have to allow Jesus to dwell with you. I like that word dwell. Say dwell. You know what dwell means? It means to house permanently. It means to reside or to inhabit. So understand, friend, Jesus is looking for more than just weekend visitation rites. He wants to dwell with you always. You ever have people come and stay with you? You ever have people come and stay? I mean, that's great for like, I don't know, the first, I don't know how long you think. For me, about two days. No, I'm kidding. About a week. It just it depends on who it is, right? And so they come. And they're in your house, and it's, it's wonderful. You're enjoying the conversation. You share meals together, good conversations. But then there's things that kind of start to happen. You're trying to go to bed. You realize they stay up later than you do. And they're running the noisy ice machine and wake my wife up, right? I mean, that's, a, that, that's irritation begins to set in. You come in, and their muddy shoes are right there at the front door. You go, and you open the fridge, and... I don't know whose food this is. I don't buy this kind of stuff. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go in the bathroom and somebody's hair is everywhere. I mean, it's just, there's moments where it's like, okay, these people have overstayed their welcome. And I know you're thinking, Pastor Jacob, that's not very godly or hospitable. No, it is godly and it is in the Bible. Let me show you. Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 25, 17 says, don't visit your friends too often or too long, lest they become sick of you and hate you. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 17. It's in the Bible. Don't overstay your welcome. Now, I, I'm not, I don't have a bone to pick. I don't need inner healing, please. Uh, uh, nobody's staying with me right now, and I'm giving them hints to leave. No, no, that's not happening. But what I, what I am saying is I know it's a lot. Do you realize Jesus does not just want to hang out with you for a day or two? He does not want to just come visit with you occasionally. Jesus wants to dwell forever like you walk into the house and there's his sandals right there you go to the fridge and there's his fish and bread I don't I don't know what else he eats but there it is that's his food that's not my food you go and you turn on the TV and he has the remote rights no I don't like this I'd rather watch this and he'll change the channel right he may decide, you know what, it's three in the morning, time to pray. He's setting the schedule. He is dwelling. That's what he desires to do, to dwell with us. This is how we're going to grow in the abiding anointing. You need to let Jesus dwell with you. Now, the second thing we see is we must experience God. This comes out of verse 18. Let me show you this. It says, uh, Ephesians 3 and verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend, say comprehend, with all the saints, the width, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. How do you know something that is beyond knowing? How do you know something that is beyond knowledge? That's what he says. I want you to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's beyond you knowing, but I want you to know it. 
Okay, what am I missing here? Well, that word I had you repeat, comprehend. You know what that means? Comprehend means to receive experientially. You want to know how you can know what is unknowable? You got to experience it. I, I can't just explain it to you. You have to receive it. I, I can sing songs about the love of Jesus. I can read to you Bible verses about the love of Jesus. But you will never know it beyond knowing until you've received it. I can tell you the scriptures, but I can tell you, oh, what I felt in my heart when he came upon me. That's what it is to experience. I can quote to you theology, and I can receive of, you know, I can, I can receive of songs and these things about healing. But I'm telling you, when, when my knee was swollen, I had fluid I had to have drained multiple times a year. Cold cortisone shots in my knees. I can show you the scars where they would inject my knees. But in one moment, a word of knowledge came just like we had this morning. And in that moment, that sickness, that, that injury left my body, and it's never come back since. I can have a theology for healing, but I've experienced it. What I yearn for every one of us, you want to know why we'll have times of prayer and why I don't stop and explain now? I know there's people probably here today. I met them in our first newcomers class. They're like, I've never been to a spirit-filled church until I came here. And I hear people praying in tongues, and, and how did they know that? And friend, I'm not going to stop and explain everything. Now, this Thursday, for example, I'll do a teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. But I would rather like, okay, now, I grew up in a church like this. It probably, now, this may be a wound. You've got to pray for me. I don't know. We're going to do a nine-week series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to have one time of mediocre prayer at the end. No, that's lame. You know what I want? Week one, who's the Holy Ghost? Bam! You just met him. That's the Holy Ghost. Like, uh, like, you know what I'm talking about. I can explain to you details about my wife. But at some time, you just got to meet her. You need to experience her presence. I, you can watch tutorial videos on driving a car. But sometime, friend, you just got to get behind the seat, grab a hold of the steering wheel, and pedal to the You got to experience it. Explain to me the theology of healing before you pray for me. I'm not going to do that, friend. There's people that got healed today. Probably can't explain to you the Bible verses behind it, but I know that works. My hand doesn't hurt anymore. Hallelujah. You know this is how Jesus ministered, right? Like we want to send somebody to medical school. Okay, first 18 years you're in school. Then another four years, then another four years. I'm going to teach you for 20 years. Then we're going to, then you're going to go and have an apprenticeship where you're going to watch somebody else do it, right? I'm going to teach you, then you're going to watch, and then finally you're going to do, right? This is like our Western form of education. You know what Jesus did? Jesus is like, come on, boys, watch me cast out devils. Step two. You go cast out devils. Step three, Jesus, it worked. And now let me teach you. You know why it worked? Because your names are written in heaven. That's why it worked. 
Jesus, it didn't work this time. We prayed for this, this father and his boy who's demon. It didn't, oh, let me teach you. This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus taught at the end, like, watch me. You try. Now let me teach you. It's totally backwards from the way that we do. So uh, that was a tangent. I'm sorry. Number three. Oh, this is my favorite worship team. Would you come? I'm going to come to a close. Verse 19. So what were, the, what were the points for today? Number one, he wants to dwell. Everyone say dwell. Number two, we need to experience God. Say experience. I'm not going to explain it all to you. We'll have teachings. Praise God. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a theologian. I love it. But I want you to experience his love. I want you to experience it. And then number three, oh my goodness. This one messes with me. Verse 19, Ephesians chapter 3, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. You realize what the Lord desires to fill you with is not just a drip or a trickle. The fullness of God. Friend, his fullness, that's full. The fullness of God. Now, as I come to a close, consider this. Jesus had the spirit without measure. Jesus operated as a man the same way that you and I do. Jesus said we would do greater works than he did. I'm going to give you another verse to show you that this is what God desires for us to operate in a greater level. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Could you bring that up on the screen? Oh, this one messed. I read this. And I just, I wept. I, I tell you, I weep over the Bible sometimes. I just felt like Jesus came and sat next to me last night as I, as I read this. It's just like, God. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Let me say it again. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, in flesh, the fullness of God. I love the way the King James, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All of God in the flesh. Wow. But watch this. The next verse. Oh my goodness. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Jesus has the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what does he do? So you also are complete. You also have this. Oh my goodness. We should never be afraid. There's a dead body. I'm going to pray for it. There's a blind eye. I'm going to pray for it. There's a city to be saved. I'm going after it. You have the 
fullness of the Godhead bodily if you steward that inward anointing, that abiding anointing. Oh, my goodness. I want you to stand all across this room. And I just want you to, before I pray for you, before anything else happens, just begin to ask him to come. Ask him to abide with you.